This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello, and welcome to the Windgrin podcast. Today, we welcome Mark Mears onto the podcast. Mark possesses a unique and diverse background in building growth brands such as PepsiCo, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, Frito-Lay, JCPenney, NBC Universal, amongst others. Marcos also held executive leadership positions, including the SVP and CMO for the Cheesecake Factory, the EVP and CMO for Noodles and Company, and President Chief Concept Officer of Mimi's Cafe. Mark has a ton of insights and exciting stories to share, so let's get into it. Here we go. Mark, welcome to the Wingrin Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, Evan. I'm honored to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Excited. Super excited. And Mark, I know that you spent some time in Austin. Is it? I'm curious, did you become a Longhorns fan while you were living in Austin? You know, there was no chance of that, nor would there be a chance of that. I am a, a born and bred Jayhawk from the University of Kansas. While I admire much about the Longhorns and the tradition of the University of Texas, great school, yeah, can't do it. That is fair. I am a Longhorn. I will be rooting for them, even though it's been painful, but I appreciate your allegiance. But we'll not bring up the Oklahoma game from Saturday, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) That was painful. I don't want to talk about that. But on the topic of sports, you have had incredible tenures at companies, including PepsiCo, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, Frito-Lays, and others. And sports have been a big part of the campaigns that you've done, marketing campaigns that you've done. I want to get into some of those campaigns. But first, why historically have you associated the brands that you've worked with with sports? What do you see as the power of sports? Well, I think sport is a base uh, fans, short for fanatics, <laughs> that when properly harnessed can create tremendous value and affinity for brands. And so I really believe there's you know, this ability to tap into that passion and be able to associate it in a relevant way to your brand. And as you probably will hear me say a few times in my CMO math at the University of Kansas is one plus one can equal three or even five if it's done right. And I believe sports has the ability in concert with a brand to take it to a new and higher level than maybe where it would be on its own. That makes a lot of sense. And going off of that, can you tell us a couple of of your favorite memories in working with sports entities in the past? Oh my gosh. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I will tell you, sports has been woven into my background and I've had the good fortune to work with brands uh, such as PepsiCo, Pizza Hut, that were you know partners with uh, NCAA and also uh, Little League of America. I had a chance to work at Leo Burnett, heading up a big chunk of McDonald's business where I was able to work with our creative people on the legendary Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Nothing But Net commercial and campaign, as well as created the tie-in with NFL players and Looney Tunes cartoons um, to help uh, get the you know NFL to, to skew a little bit younger to McDonald's uh, guests. Looking at uh, Frito-Lay, when I was on the agency side at DDB, we brought together Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw when the NFL on Fox just started and linked it to all the Frito-Lay brands. And that was amazing. Had a chance to meet with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and did a cool social media promotion with him when I was a CMO at the Cheesecake Factory. Worked with NASCAR legends Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson worked with Oral Hershiser back when he won the MVP of the World Series in 88. And there's a funny story that goes with that is Pizza Hut was based in Wichita, Kansas for a long time since its founding in 1958 in the middle of the, the 90s and moved to Dallas. But we tied in with Oral Hershiser as part of a beverage promotion with a two-liter Coleman jug, if you will, that had a relief in the outline area. So we called it a relief pitcher, but it was tied in with Oral Hershiser. We shot a commercial with him down when the Dodgers used to spring train at Vero Beach. 
And it was late February, just before March spring training began. And he was kind of getting all his obligations for sponsorships and whatnot taken care of. And so we had a certain window of time that we had with him to shoot the commercial. And we had these little leaguers. They were all, you know, dressed up in their uniforms. And we thought, man, this is going to be great to get out of Wichita in the middle of winter to go to Florida. You kidding me? Well, unfortunately, the day we were there, uh, that night before they'd had a frost. And that doesn't happen very often, as you know, in Florida. And the next day was windy and cold. The clouds were blowing, um, uh, over, you know, over the sun or under the sun, sorry. And we had a limited amount of time. And so we were freaking out going, oh, my God, we're going to have to shoot this commercial with Oral Hershiser and these, you know, Little League kids. And they're all in the dugouts with blankets huddling up. And when we saw the clouds break, we said, hurry, get out, get in the field. Let's go. We got to shoot this, you know, commercial. And so I don't know how many takes it took, but our agency, BBDO out of New York, did a wonderful job. And the commercial was called Right Field, which won all sorts of awards. And it was just an amazing opportunity to see how those kids interacted with Oral Hershiser, MVP, great Hall of Fame pitcher. And yet Pizza Hut was inextricably linked to that passion. And so that was a, a wonderful memory that I will never forget. And then, you know, d doing a shoot with uh, Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw and the way they banter back and forth, that was a real treat. So I've had some great experiences and, and, and you know, many more that uh, we don't have time to go through. But uh, to your point, uh, just really understanding the power of sport and the power of linking in or tapping into, I should say, the passion that people have towards their team, their players, and their community. And then your brand wins by association. That is an incredible story. I'm curious, when working with athletes or talent, what typically comes first, securing the athlete or the campaign idea? Well, you start with the campaign idea, but it really all starts with your target audience and your brand architecture. So the key word is relevance. You, you know, you don't go get someone because you can or because the CEO would love to play golf with them. You do it because it's, again, that inextricable link between your target audience and your brand architecture. And so when I say brand architecture, it's your vision, your mission, your shared values, but it's also your value proposition or what makes you unique and distinctive in the marketplace. So, you might be launching a new product. You, you, you may be uh, trying to get people to come in more often. You may be trying to get people to buy more, such as, let's say, a collector cup. And so you want to see if there is star power in that relationship that can help you accomplish one of those objectives and yet uh, have the license from your guests to see that as a natural tie-in versus just some one-off lark. Uh, or ad hoc type of uh, relationship. And, and so those are really the things we look at. And then once we have secured the, the strategy behind it, then the difficult part usually is securing the athlete of the team to participate. And that's where negotiations come in. And, you know, we're trying to pitch them, but also we're having them pitch us because usually there's not just one right athlete or team. Uh, sometimes there are several options and so we have the ability to add value to their persona, much like they have the ability to add value to ours. That's really interesting. And I love that you speak to that it starts with the brand and what are the initiatives you know, first, because of course, that, that is the basis of any campaign that you do. And going off of that, you have been an incredible part of building amazing growth companies, including... You know, as, as we mentioned, PepsiCo, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, Frito-Lay, JCPenney, WowWorks, Noodles & Co, Schlotzky's, and more. The list goes on and on. When working with different brands, what are the core principles that stay constant regardless of what brand you're working with? And, and what areas do you need to evolve based on the brands that, that you are working with at that time? Well, uh, thank you, uh, Evan. You just made me feel old. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have had a remarkable career and it's not over yet, but I really am blessed to have um, been asked to represent some of those world-class growth brands that you mentioned. And, you know, for, for me, it comes down to who do you serve? You know, I love the whole Simon Sinek start with why. But I'm going to be a little more provocative if you'll allow me some leeway. For me, I start with who, not why. Who do you serve? And when you think about that and you can picture yourself serving your ideal client or in our case, guest, right? 
But it's more than that. We really have four key stakeholders in, I think, not only in the restaurant world, but I think really everybody, and we may call them different things, but team members first, guests second, business partners third, and communities fourth. But instead of it being one through four in some kind of linear fashion, think of that like a Venn diagram with four circles intertwined. At the, 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 the middle of it all revolves around your purposeful vision, mission, and values. But those four key stakeholders are help who help you accomplish it. So team members, guests, business partners, and communities. It is so important. And why that's a, a, a Venn diagram with those circles intertwined is because they all have to interlap or overlap and interrelate with each other. So, you know, team members who are engaged can create remarkable guest experiences that provide profitability for our business partners that also help us give back in our communities. And it's like a virtuous cycle that never ends, right? So I call it revolutionary marketing because it revolves around our purposeful vision, mission, and values and what are we trying to accomplish as a company. And then we try to impact our team members, our guests, our business partners, and our communities to help fulfill that that brand architecture, which is the purposeful vision, mission, and values. So those are the things that I've found to be rock solid, no matter which brand I'm honored to serve. I love that framework. And something in particularly that I, I love is that you call customers guests, which isn't something you always hear. And I feel as though that is one thing that you do to instill a culture of treating customers or, or, or guests with, with the utmost respect. When joining a new organization, how do you instill, what, what, are, what are things that you do in order to instill that sort of thought process and, and culture? That's, that's a great question, Evan. I'm really glad you brought that up because I believe words matter. And not just because I'm a journalism major undergrad, but uh, because I really believe that words lead to intentions, intentions lead to actions, and actions lead to feelings. And it was the great, late, great American poet laureate Maya Angelou who said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you've done, but they'll never forget how you've made them feel. So at the end of the day, you're trying to create these feelings that are emotionally evocative, that when paired with the rational, I need a job, to pay a bills and whatnot, but I now care so deeply about my company that I work for. To me, that takes you from being good and it allows you to become great or unique and differentiated because so often people accept mediocrity as a standard and we just look past it, step over it, walk around it. But it's, it's those rare companies that really form a culture where people really live out the values. They're not just a bunch of platitudes that are written up on a wall somewhere, but they're really how you live out your day to day. So when I talk about purposeful vision, you start with purpose. Like, what do you stand for? That reason today, I don't know French, I probably butchered it, but it's, it's what's your reason for being? But I think, again, you first start with who you serve. And you think about personas, and so often we hear about that in sales, and we've created this persona. When I was at JCPenney, um, in our boardroom, there were chairs, but there was one chair left open every meeting. And we said, that's our, the time, guest. We knew who it was. We envisioned who she was. And when we had questions, we'd say, what would she say about this decision? Right. So we envisioned in our mind who we served, and that provided a guidepost for us along the way. And as it relates to words mattering, I mean, think about the term customer. You know, it sounds a bit dismissive, like someone who just buys something, a faceless, nameless transaction. Right. Think about the word consumer. I hate that even more. That's even more dismissive. And it sounds like someone who just consumes something. Well, in our business, we're all about hospitality. And it was a, a, a great operational leader, a guy named Phil Petrilli, who I had the good fortune to work with uh, at Noodles and Company, who said, as he was firing up his troops, he said, you know, the act of 
I changed it to art of. But the act of hospitality, one human being serving another, is one of the most noble professions in the history of mankind. Now, is that going to fire you up? Absolutely, right? And I like to say we looked at uh, works as food as fuel to help stoke your passions and help you live your best life. You see how words matter? Instead of it just being about uh, salads and soups and sandwiches and whatnot, right? It was about helping you achieve an end that had this purposeful goal in your life. What is it that energizes you? What is it that you're passionate about? What is it that gives you that extra pep in your step? And how can we play a relevant role in you getting there? And then finally, uh, when I was the chief marketing officer at the Cheesecake Factory, which is easily the best culture, and I'd say Pizza Hut, PepsiCo is right there. But David Overton, the founder, chairman, and CEO, was maniacal about establishing a culture over the last several years. Imagine over 300 menu items, all, almost all, made from scratch every single day. Do you know what was one of the items that was not made from scratch every day? Which one? Oh. <laughs> the cheesecakes. Ironically, you go to a cheesecake factory, you expect them to have some ovens in the back and they're making, no, uh, they're made in a couple of facilities and shipped in. And they're delicious though. Uh, but they have bakers and they make you look like that's what they do. But anyway, I just thought that was a fun fact. But, but they created a culture of excellence and the, the fact that words matter. You wouldn't dare call a guest a customer in front of David Overton. You wouldn't dare uh, call something a coupon. It's a gift. You know, there were just words that, that were more in keeping with that culture. And I'm a big believer in best practice learning within a spirit of continuous improvement. Nobody loved to learn more than David Overton. And, but he looked around in the industry, he's like, well, we don't really have any competitors that we can learn from because no one really does what we do. And so he went and studied Ritz Carlton because he said, look, we may not get there, but I want us to have the same attitude, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. So when you go to the Cheesecake Factory, there is a reason why there's an hour and a half, two hour line. And it's a, an immersive, over the top dining experience on purpose. And he was a big visionary in terms of the environment. And look at all the ornate um, stone, marble, you know, woodwork, you name it. Uh, these are immersive, over-the-top environments. And then the food comes out to you, and it's all plated so beautifully. And, of course, there's a good amount of it. Um, but it's, it's just one of those uh, things that it, many people have tried to emulate, and no one has because that culture is so rock solid and they believe so much in training and investing in their people. They've become one of the top uh, places to work over the last several uh, years now because of that culture. So great question. That resonates with me so much. Something we do subconsciously here at League Side is when someone new joins the team, we text them. And, and part of what we say is not necessarily we're so excited to work with you because some people have a negative connotation of work, but instead we're so excited to build with you because that's what we're doing every day uh, at league side. So that's, that's wonderful. Evan. And, 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 you know, I know you're, you know, still early in, in your career in forming league side, which I love this idea. I wish it was around when we were doing the little league promotion with pizza hut years ago. Um, and you guys are on to something really big, but just continue to stay focused on culture as the great marketing uh, visionary Peter Drucker was fond of saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you brought that Little League campaign back up. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. So we tied in because, again, being relevant, we knew that Ironically, I've had the pleasure of working with both brands, uh, Pizza Hut directly and, and McDonald's at Leo Burnett on the agency side. But all of our research said that pizza is kids' favorite food year after year after year. But McDonald's is their favorite place to go. Why do you think? The Happy Meal is such an important draw. And so we knew that to um, get kids to want to come to Pizza Hut with their families more often, we had to be relevant to them. And we knew that Little League was relevant. And so we tied in with Little League of America 
And then we did local promotions with little league teams in every one of our markets. And so we came up with kind of a templated plan, but then we had our regional marketing directors working with the local little league uh, teams and, and organizations to create different programs and everything from, um, you know, you, if you wear your uniform, you get a free personal pan pizza, you know, just little things that allowed kids to feel comfortable linking Pizza Hut to Little League Baseball. So something they love, pizza, was something they love to do, play baseball, again, allows one plus one to equal three or five if we do it right. And it was a wonderful campaign. And we also did the relief pitchers I mentioned with Oral Hershiser doing the commercial. Um, and we sold a ton of two-liter uh, jugs of Pepsi that we um, obviously made good margin on. And so wonderful, wonderful tie-in that linked Little League Baseball to Pizza Hut and Pepsi Beverages, which at the time is when PepsiCo owned us, um, to create this great value exchange. And I always like to say, you know, there are so many definitions in marketing out there. And I don't want to oversimplify it because it's tough, but it's not that complicated. You know, we, my definition of marketing is it's a exchange of value between buyer and seller for mutual benefit, Right. So the word in there is so important is value for a brand. What value are you offering over and above, hopefully, tasty food at a good price and good service or hospitality, as I like to say it, versus service? Um, what else can you do? Because it's such a competitive world out there and it's made even more competitive now as a result of the pandemic came the rise of third party. So the Grubhubs, the Uber Eats, et cetera. But more than that, uh, now has food kitchens and combo kitchens and uh, food halls and grocery stores that have done a much better job with uh, ready-made food service these days and including virtual brands. So for anybody to stand out in that competitive environment, I liken it to kind of a sea of sameness. So how do you break through? And, and oftentimes, uh, you do that through sports, entertainment, uh, alliance partnerships, uh, community events, philanthropy, et cetera. But all those have their own passion points. But I would argue that people are most passionate about sports. We all have our favorite players. We all have our favorite teams. We don't even have to play it to be a fan, right? But if we do play it, it's even more of a deeper level, I should say, of passion, because you can kind of, on, in your own way, on your own level, identify with those athletes. Like most of us are not going to go on to be college um, scholarship athletes or professional athletes for sure, right? But if you remember playing Friday nights on, on in, in football and you living, you know, when you did in Austin, Texas, there's nothing bigger. It's called Friday Night Lights for a reason because the whole town comes out and the passion is palpable throughout the week leading up to the game. Uh, everybody in the coffee shops are, is talking about it. What's the coach going to do? Who's going to start a quarterback? I mean, they're all going through this for a high school football. And these stadiums are huge. I lived in Plano, Texas uh, for a while. And uh, then Allen, Texas. And I'm uh, right next door. And both of them have huge stadiums. Like when I say huge... Uh, in, in Allen, the stadium has, I want to say, 50-some thousand fans that could be. And then another suburb just up the road in McKinney has another stadium that's about the same size. So the point is, there's such passion around uh, sports in general from the littlest of leagues. I remember um, living in Dallas. Um I looked uh, over uh, at my little girls they at the time, 20, they're now 23, almost 24. But at the time, they were little, little waifs running around, you know, uh, the soccer field. And there was this larger uh, girl on the other team. And I looked over to my right, and there was Michael Irvin, famous Dallas Cowboys triplet. And it was his daughter. And he was cheering her on. And they were playing against my daughter's team. And uh, it just, the, the passion of those parents, the passion of the kids. Uh, now imagine your brand in the middle of that. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the big challenge historically uh, has always been, how do you 
procure all of the right local community sports league sponsorships? How do you make sure that that they're being executed, and 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 then how do you measure results? So so I'm curious, you know, starting with procuring them, how were you able to to go and 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 message this campaign to to all the community sports leagues that you did? Well, the Little League one was helpful in that in tying in with Little League of America, they had a list of all of the affiliated. Um, community leagues uh, across the country. So we were able to get that information and again, get it out to our local um, and you know, agencies and regional uh, marketing folks that were on staff. We had a whole network and we created a, again, a templated program, but they were the ones that had to get it done. And so one thing that I came away, uh, why it was the perfect fit for me, because I'm a real competitive son of a gun, PepsiCo uh, is the most competitive company I've ever been part of. And again, at that time, they owned Pizza Hut before they divested the restaurant group that first was Tricon and then became Yum Brands in the mid-90s. Um, and so everybody's trying to outdo everybody. So there, there was this culture. Uh, David Novak was our head of marketing. David then later became um, the co-founder of Yum Brands and just retired a few years back. Um and he was the easily the most competitive um, leader I've ever worked for. And I thought I was intense, but this guy, uh, but it was in a good way. I mean, anybody would run through a brick wall for that guy. So when he says, we got to make this work and I want to see who's going to step up and really show me something. Everybody would, would, would went off. I mean, they were like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to add this to it and we're going to do this to make it better and we're going to find out what they're doing do it. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. So it all comes down to results. We're, you know, we're a performance-driven company. When you're part of a publicly traded entity, that's what it is. Um, every quarter is a cycle, wash, rinse, and repeat. So you're always trying to outdo what you've done before and we take a beat year ago mentality uh, back in the day is what we would be one of our rallying cries. We had many. Um, and and you look at, say, what's the metrics of performance? Well, we look at number of people engaged, how many teams, how many players. We looked at then the materials we gave them. Um, again, we had some ad hoc things like if you come in in your uniform, you get XYZ, but we also did couponing to the teams. So we would look at, you know, how many offers were redeemed. As I mentioned, we had the relief pitcher program, so we knew how many of those we sold and what our margins were, and so how much money do we make on that. But something you can't measure is the intangible. You can't measure the passion of that promotional linkage, right? It's one of those things where when the promotion's over, did we create lifelong guests as a result of that affinity? I believe so. Did we build on other efforts to um, build relationships because we also did um, great movie tie-ins. Um, we did great cause promotions. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of different things to uh, build affinity with the guests, again, over and above serving America's favorite pizza. But you just don't know which one triggered that lifelong affinity. And I remember growing up in Wichita, actually, Friday night was Pizza Hut night for our family. It was a religion and it was something we look forward to and we shared a meal around our favorite food. And uh, then when I had the tremendous honor to um, represent Pizza Hut in marketing, you know, years later, I remembered that. And so I kind of think, think that people have those memories. You think about it as, um, as a good uh, friend of mine, former creative director, um, in Dallas had this, uh, and I believe he now has a company called Mind Handle, but he would call these Mind Handles, right? So what do you latch onto in your mind vault when you're thinking about a need for a product or service? What first brand comes to mind and, and what do you think about that? You know, based on all of your experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, right? So grabbing onto that Mind Handle and saying, okay, what role does community engagement play Again, over and above great quality food, hospitality, and price, um, that to me is is really difficult to measure, but it's so important. For sure. That resonates with me so much. My favorite pizzeria today is Mike's Pizza. Did they have a delicious pepperoni slice? Yes. 
But the reason it's my favorite pizzeria is because my favorite memories as a kid was going to Mites Pizza with my family and with my teammates because they always sponsored my baseball team and my soccer team. So the fact that you are able to take a national or, or should I say international brand in Pizza Hut and, and make them the equivalent of the Mike's Pizza, uh, that, that same local feel in communities across the country was incredible. Well, that's that's a great memory that you have about Mike's and, and so important to have those memories because brands, you know, that are any good aspire to live a long time. And the only way you can do that is by building a relationship. So for me, the goal of any brand is to build lasting, loving, and mutually profitable relationships with its guests, right? And then what you have is this idea of advocacy where you've got a guest who becomes a brand ambassador and the most sincere and most effective form of marketing will always be word of mouth. Now, with the advent of social media and review sites, instead of it being one-to-one, it could be one-to-many. So all of a sudden now you have the ability to create a movement behind your brand if you do it right. And you have authentic, transparent relationships with your guests. Um, When you mess up, you fess up and you make it right. Much like a piece of uh, metal that has been broken apart, a weld can make it stronger than where it started. And I believe the same thing can happen with the appropriate guest recovery. Some stories for (laughs) another day. But it's all about building those lasting, loving, mutually profitable and beneficial relationships with your guests. And again, having sports and community engagement as part of that, where it feels like home, man, that's powerful. Yeah. Wow. So shifting gears a little bit, your latest venture, you're now the chief growth officer at LEAF Ventures. I believe LEAF is an acronym. What does LEAF stand for? Well, Evan, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, I started a consultancy a few years back, actually, and uh, I've had the good fortune to been hired by some great companies and put my philosophies based on almost 35 years, actually a little bit over, to work for the benefit of others. And so what I did was I put together, you know, a kind of physician heal thyself as a marketer. I put together my own personal brand plan and whose mission statement is, I don't want to just make money and retire. I want to make a difference and inspire. And that means making a difference in the lives of others along their growth journey, as well as inspiring them to want to do likewise. So we create this virtuous cycle of reciprocity where we help everybody along their growth journey. So um, LEAF is an acronym, but it starts off as a metaphor for growth. Um, Now, I'm no uh, botanist, but I've learned enough um, in my studies to understand that growth uh, from a tree or a plant happens through its leaf and the photosynthesis, the right balance of carbon dioxide and oxygen with the rain, the sun, the, the soil, the photosynthesis now creates that that growth. And there are little pumping mechanisms throughout the plant that's called xylem. I didn't know this, but apparently they pump the water and minerals up from the root system to the leaf so that photosynthesis can occur. And the cool thing is it can do it in a energy neutral way. Just a little fun fact for you. So leaf is a metaphor for growth. If you think about a tree, the idea for me is that also becomes a acronym. So leaf stands for purposeful leadership, purposeful engagement, purposeful accountability, and purposeful fulfillment. So if you think about a tree, uh, the root system provides the leadership, right? So think of an organization, it's the clarity of your brand architecture, your vision, mission, shared values, it's a connection to your business priorities. It's a communication up, down, and sideways to evangelize the above. And then it's a commitment of people to bring it to life, right? So that represents the root system like any plant without a strong root system, or in this case, without a strong culture of leadership, your plant or your organization could wobble and fall. Engagement then represents the trunk and the branches and the system of nourishment. There's a Spanish word called savia, which literally means lifeblood. So again, going back to that pumping mechanism, the xylem, think about everybody in your organization providing now a uh, commitment of their heart, their head, their hands, and their habits to help fulfill that brand architecture espoused during the leadership phase. 
And then it leads to accountability. Again, purposeful accountability. So if you think about this Venn diagram and looking at a four-leaf clover, you see that there are is integration among all the the four leaves, right? So a four-leaf clover is unique, it's rare, it's special, and it's valuable. Well, same thing in an organization, right? So when you get to accountability, it's four different uh, aspects. So it's outcomes, measuring what matters most. It's obstacles, what happens when we get hit in the mouth. You think about fall of 2019 or whenever people put their business plans together, they said, you know, 2020 is going to be our best year ever. we got a great plan. Well, that is, unless some global pandemic happens, ha, 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 it did. So everybody had to, here's that word, pivot in the spring of 2020 when COVID hit and every one of our lives changed. And then once we've overcome obstacles, we look at outliers. Again, I mentioned this idea of best practice learning within a spirit of continuous improvement. So who maybe in our own organization is doing it great? We want to make sure that that gets known. Who maybe in our competitive set is doing something we admire? Or maybe who in a different in industry can we learn from? Great example of that is Southwest Airlines. You know, living in Austin, Southwest is huge, not just now in Texas, but everywhere. But when they were first just a regional carrier, if you remember, Southwest was known for peanut fares, and they were known for just short haul puddle jumps, right? If you wanted to get to LA from, from Dallas, you might have to go three or four stops to get there, right? And so when they were looking for best practices, there was no other airline doing what they were doing. So who did they study? Well, some executives went out to North Carolina and studied NASCAR because they wanted to learn how those pit crews got the cars in and out of the pits so uh, quickly. And they thought that was going to be their competitive advantage is if we're going to have all these short hauls, we've got to be really efficient when we're on the ground. We've got to make sure the planes are unloaded, gassed up, safe and ready to board for the next leg of the journey, right? So best practices or outliers can come from a variety of places. And then finally, obsolescence. You look at uh, the importance of innovation. Like where is Blockbuster Video today? Where is Circuit City today? I could go on and on. Kodak tried to make a comeback, but really never got into the digital game. They stayed in film for too long. And many people can't innovate out of what made them successful. And in doing so, they become obsolete. And then finally, fulfillment is really important. This is this idea of people, place, processes, and performance. It's finding the right people. It's giving a place where they can be themselves. And there's this notion I, I believe very strongly in. Um, we all believe in diversity and the power of diversity, but I don't think there's one definition. I think there's uh, outward diversity. Maybe it's more of what people think of it is all protected classes and, and what you appear to be on the outside. But I believe there's inward diversity. And the two are important to create total diversity because who you are and where you come from can help inform how you think. So if inward diversity is more about how you think, for us to create step function change growth, not just creeping incremental growth, but truly step function change growth, we've got to have people that think differently. So when people talk about culture and say, are they a fit with our culture? Well, don't define that as just people that look like you, sound like you, and parrot everything back uh, that, that the leadership team wants them to say. You want agitators who respectfully challenge the status quo, right? They are always asking, what if? Or why do we always do it that way? What if we tried this way? And so that is so, so important. But having that culture, that place where people can uh, exercise who they are in a safe, comfortable environment and, and what they can contribute to the team is so important. And then processes is really important. You got to get the work done. So how do you become efficient and productive with your processes to accomplish your goal? And then finally, there's this idea of performance. When are you at your peak performance? right? When you're kind of in sports, they would call it in the zone, right? So, but but think about on your best day, if you could just stack together a bunch of those best days, you think about, um, at least I do, I look at the whole person and I think of mind, body, spirit, and soul. 
So if you were to work every day to enrich your mind, your body, your spirit, and your soul, and really become this whole person, now you're going to be more productive and you're going to perform at a higher level and you're going to be fulfilled in how you do it. So purposeful leadership, engagement, accountability, and fulfillment is the model called LEAF that is all about growth, helping individuals, helping teams, and helping organizations find their purpose and achieve their full growth potential. And in doing so, scattering their seeds to help make their communities and indeed the world a better place. So that's the epilogue is this idea of scattering your seeds. And think about it, the plants that bear the most fruit have the opportunity to scatter the most seeds. So if you think about the accountability, the A in leaf accountability representing the the leaf structure and or the fruit, it's designed, if it's an oak tree, it's designed to be an oak tree. That's its purpose. If it's a maple tree, it's designed to be a maple tree. That's its purpose. So the goal is to be the best at its purpose. And when you do, you will bear the most fruit and then you'll have the ability to scatter the most seeds. And by doing so, I'm imploring people or inspiring people, begging people um, to give a portion of their time, their talents, their treasures, and their triumphs or travails or the, the experiences that they can help people either emulate or may, many times in my case, avoid. And so in doing so, um, you're really creating, again, this virtuous cycle of reciprocity. So that's that's the concept behind LEAP and then you know coming behind these organizations, helping to teach them, train them on these principles to where not only can they personally, their teams collectively and their organization from an enterprise perspective be successful, but then they can squeeze it back out and help make their communities better as a result. Wow. What's more impressive than all of the knowledge that, that you have is, is how effective you are at succinctly articulating it and and you you have the perfect sound bites. What I'm trying to say is I hope you write a book because I, I think it would be a, an incredible read and, and extremely insightful. Thank you, Evan. Yes, I am writing a book. And I, I do, I do want to give you a, a little backstory and how it came about. And you and I talked about this a little off air, and I'm going to try to be succinct. And I will tell you, that's probably the first time in my life I've been called succinct. So anybody listening to this who knows me is going to be laughing at Strong you. frameworks, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was I had the good fortune to be president and chief concept officer at Mimi's Cafe. We were based in Orange County. California. and But I lived up in Valencia. Anybody who knows LA knows that's about two hour drive at the very quickest you could make it. So I would go down there on a Sunday night and then stay in a hotel right across the street from our office, which was right next door to John Wayne Airport, and, and then come back Thursday night. And, and that way I'd be home for my family on the weekends. And I was traveling all over the country, going to restaurants. And we were owned by Bob Evans' Um, Farms Incorporated that was based in Columbus, Ohio. So I also spent a lot of time there. Publicly traded company. They had three brands. It was Bob Evans Restaurants, Bob Evans Food Products, and Mimi's Cafe. And so I was president of the Mimi's division and brought in to help turn the brand around. We were double-digit negative in sales and also prove out a new concept that the board of Bob Evans could add more capital to support to grow because they weren't really seeing the Bob Evans restaurant brand uh, growing at that time. Uh, and, and they thought there was a much bigger opportunity for Mimi's if we were to get the concept right. So I left the Cheesecake Factory to go do that. And while it was easily one of the most gratifying stints of my life, it only lasted two years. The good news is Within the first year, we were able to turn the brand around and go from double-digit negative back to positive and put a new concept in the ground uh, that I call Mimi's um, Bakery Cafe and Bistro, which was able to use the whole facility without adding any additional footprint, just use the existing facility and get more profit per square foot by bringing in kind of a little kiosk uh, French bakery and coffee uh, we were French-inspired. Mimi's uh, was uh, French-inspired, not French restaurant, but French-inspired. And uh, so this allowed people to come in just like a Starbucks or wherever, a local coffee shop, and grab a coffee or a croissant or something and, and go. Or they could dine in this little cafe area and hang out if they wanted or meet a friend. Or then they could dine in one of our many uh, dining rooms if they wanted a full-on meal. 
So breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, and I brought in full alcohol. So bakery, cafe, which is what it was always known as, Mimi's Cafe, and bistro so that it would have a dinner opportunity to grow. And all of a sudden, I'm meeting with the CEO who says, uh, the board's decided to move in a different direction. We're going to look for strategic alternatives. And that usually means strike while the iron's hot and see if we can sell the brand. And so anyway, went through this whole process of courtship with private equity firms. And then there was this one strategic play, and I won't go through the name of it, but we thought it was a perfect fit. It was a French company, but a U.S. operation. They had a couple of different bakery facilities so we could get food from them. And we thought, this is this is just going to be great. And they're going to put the capital behind us. And we're going to grow and flourish the way we deserve to grow and flourish. The deal closed on a Friday. And I was drinking champagne on the weekend, probably all weekend, if I remember. And then Monday, I'm supposed to meet the CEO for the start of a week-long transition with execs from the parent brand and, and my team. And eight o'clock, I get called into this conference room and there's the CEO and thinking, this is great. We're going to start this whole week-long series of meetings. But I looked to my right and in the corner was the head of HR. And I looked over to him and I said, I'll use a different name, Bob, under different circumstances, be worried or should be worried, right? And he said, Mark, you better sit down. And five minutes later, I'm out the door. It was only five minutes because I had four and a half minutes of questions. They decided to move in a different direction. And I'm like, over the weekend? They knew it for a long time, but I was new to the pitfalls of corporate America and maybe a little naive. Uh, but I was out, and so shortly afterwards, my whole team was out, and then shortly afterwards, they moved uh, the headquarters from Orange County to another location, and all of that they said they weren't going to do, they did. So I'm driving home with my little box of whatever I could get out in five minutes, and I'm calling my wife and going, well, so that just happened, and get home, and I didn't have good luck sleeping that night, as you could probably imagine. So we're living again in Southern California, and I'm pretty sure it was February 21st, but at that time, that's really about the time spring starts in Southern California. The winters aren't very long there. And so I take the dog out in the morning, and just as the sun is coming up over the wall we had in our backyard, as God is my witness, this happened. We had a fig tree that was barren from uh, the short winter, but as the sun was coming up over the hill, it, it shone right on this edge of a branch that had this little green sprig. And it was at that moment that I got this epiphany on this whole leaf concept. I had been leading with this notion of a mantra of rule of threes, right? Leadership, engagement, accountability. If we do these three things well and consistently, we're going to turn this brand around. We're going to put this new concept in the ground and it's going to be the turnaround story for the ages. So every week, every communication, every best practice, I would link it to this idea of leadership, engagement, and accountability. Well, I never called it anything like <laughs> Lee. I just used those three words, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And But it wasn't until that fateful morning happened to me when I really looked back at my team and I and the fact that we were burning the candle in both ends, we were you know, chasing this ideal of a turnaround and this new concept and everybody was working hard, but they thought they were working for this, this big payoff. And I realized in that moment when I saw that little sprig that I felt it represented F fulfillment and that leaf represented rebirth. And I used this time, I literally went took the dog back inside, went to my office and started banging out a treatment around this idea of LEAP and, and how it served as a metaphor for growth, but also was an acronym and just started writing. And so, yes, years later, it, it will become a book and that story is in the prologue. But it, it just shares, you know, it, I want to share it with you and your listeners because my pastor is fond of saying the worst thing is never the last thing. So you may be uh, new in your career. You may... Uh, have uh, a culture that is not suitable for you know your growth. I don't believe in bloom where you're planted. And if you look at my background, I've been many places and I've been blessed to represent some wonderful brands. I have had tremendous mentors walk alongside me. My 
my route or my journey is so different from my dad who worked the same company for 40 years and others who are in locations for a lot longer. Good for you. But you find what works for you and you work through these challenges that happen. But like a tree standing out, you know, in a storm, you want to stand tall. You want to withstand the storm. And remember, the worst thing is never the last thing. You get a chance to wake up the next day and rebirth and start your story anew. I love that. Mark, you are incredibly, it, it says a lot about you to, to, in that moment, which was a difficult moment, allow yourself to be able to see, to be so reflective and, and see a positive in, in what was going on in, in your life. And, and for that to, you know, stick with you to today and, and continuing to inspire you and enabling you to inspire all of us. So uh, thank you. I am so pumped that you are one of the inaugural guests on the Wingrid podcast. And I hope that you will come on again in the future when when this podcast has, you know, thousands of, of, of fans, tens of thousands, millions, let, let, let's even say. Uh, and <laughs> I love it. Shoot big. And thank you so much for coming on, Mark. This has been absolutely incredible. Well, my pleasure, Evan. I'm a big fan of your organization and what you do and your heart. And to me, you've got all of the ingredients necessary to be hugely successful. So there'll be a day when I'll be saying, wow, I knew Evan Brandoff and this whole idea of league side and what it's done and what it does for brands and what it does for kids and parents and bringing communities together. I really believe in this idea and I think it's a movement. I don't think it's an idea. I think you're starting a movement and I'm just honored that you would have me be one of your initial speakers and look forward to following your success as it continues. Thank you so much. That means the world hearing you say that. Thank you for listening to our interview with Mark Mears. Some of the many things that we covered today are the power behind aligning with sports, how important it is to connect with the communities that your brand serves. Before choosing the marketing talent or campaign idea, you first need to start by thinking about your target audience. And words matter. That's why he uses terms like guests instead of customers. And finally, being fulfilled is a pivotal piece of whatever you choose to do. As Mark says, I don't just want to make money and retire. I want to make a difference and inspire. There's so much that we could learn from Mark. So thrilled to have had him on the show. I'm Evan Brandoff, and we will see you next time. Play on. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at Leagueside underscore. See you next time.